Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we are going to talk about the grief that can accompany chronic illness. We want to talk about the grief that can accompany endometriosis and really chronic illness in general because grief is a very natural part of life and it's a natural part of living with chronic illness. And I think some of us may not even know that we're grieving or that we're experiencing grief. And I know that was my own experience when I was younger for many years is that I didn't even know that I was grieving. Like I didn't even know what those feelings were and what to call them. Or I think some of us may know that we're grieving, but others around us are invalidating our grief. And they're telling us to just get over it and just to move on with our lives. Cheer up! It's just endometriosis. Cheer up! Cheer up? My whole life just imploded. What do you mean, cheer up? Yeah, cheer up, Brittany. A bomb went off in my pelvic cavity. Let me throw some confetti. Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> a party. Yeah, and then squeeze out your tears and then use them as frosting on your cake. My whole body is in pain and I can't sleep, but let me put a little sprinkle on top of that. Mm, <laughs> sounds great. Just put a smile on your face. Mm, hey, sounds great. You may have pelvic pain, pain with sex, pain with bowel movements, pain with breathing, but you have pain when you smile. No, so I get the cherry. <laughs> cherry on top. No pain when I smile. I don't smile anyway. Then so. slap that smile on your face. <laughs> no, not for you, not for nobody. <laughs> Recently, I've been thinking a lot about grief because ever since I had the privilege of having excision surgery a few years ago, and that really, really diminished my symptoms of endometriosis. In fact, I honestly, I hardly have any symptoms of endometriosis. Still have a lot of symptoms of other co-conditions. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. Can't you tell by the <laughs> lack of gritted teeth in my conversational style? <laughs> yeah, but I'm smiling at least when I, swing, uh-huh. when I say it. The teeth are gritted, but I'm smiling. <laughs> I'm smiling, Brittany. The smile is on, but no happiness is home. Mm-hmm. But now that I don't have constant pain, all of the time because my symptoms are different now that they're like different symptoms and they don't really involve a lot of pain and they definitely do not involve incapacitating excruciating agonizing pain pain that haunted me for 16 years it's like it has opened up a space in my life a space an emotional space to really start processing the trauma of what I've been to to really start understanding the experiences that I've had, the awful, agonizing experiences that I've had with endometriosis, that we've had with endometriosis. And I realized that I had to shove down so much grief, 
right? Like I had to shove down my grief in order to survive. Because when I first got sick, it was like suddenly my old life. I had this life where I wasn't sick. And that life, it just like went up in a puff of smoke, like poof, it was gone. The worst kind of magic trick I've ever seen. (laughs) And there's some bad ones out there. (laughs) And that was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. And I was trying to survive the onslaught of symptoms and the bouts of excruciating pain. And I was just fighting to get through every single minute, second of nausea, of pain, trying to figure out my triggers, trying to go to the doctor, going to the doctor, taking different treatments, trying things out. And it's like I just had to shove down my feelings in a way so that I could survive my every day. And now that I'm no longer in survival mode, I look back on this literally two decades of my life and I'm just I'm just blown away by how much I've been through by how much we as a community have been through all this grief has come flooding into my life I want to share something that I found interesting which is this concept called chronic sorrow ooh I like the sound of that yes but I don't think I want to live it <laughs> well but I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty I sure am you have it. yeah So it's this concept that grief, like chronic illness, can be long-term, and it's ongoing. You're dealing with grief not as acute or as an event happened, and then for a certain amount of time, I feel sorrow. It's something that accompanies you long-term. Yay! Chronic sorrow. I love it. You have chronic illness. And chronic sorrow. Chronic sorrow. Chronic inflammation, chronic sorrow, chronic fatigue. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm chronic. I All the thank chronic you. things cause chronic sorrow. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm chronically alive, so I have chronic sorrow. That's, that's the truth of it. And this is a name that's been very specifically given to grief that can come around chronic illness. That's ongoing grief. It's just like so fitting. <laughs> of course it is. Naturally. So we want to share a quote from Mila Takalo, who's a licensed independent clinical social worker from the Center for Loss and Grief in Washington, D.C. And this quote comes from the website Social Work Today, and we've also linked that in the show notes as well for you. Quote, The first and most obvious, the loss of good health and robustness, kickstarts a cascade of other forfeitures called network losses. Depending on the nature of the illness, Those losses may include comfort, sexual function, career, income, self-efficacy, freedom, cognitive function, intimacy, pride, joy, self-esteem, self-control, independence, mental health, hope, dignity, and certainty. In the most extreme cases, one illness may bring about all of these losses, sometimes over and over again in many ways, end quote. That list is so spot on. The validation of that quote, like the validation that I feel from that quote. That this is a recognized experience and not just something that we think we're dealing with on our own. Yeah, that feels validating. How much loss you can have from chronic illness. To me, it just really explains it's like endometriosis can come into your life like a wrecking ball like a wrecking ball like takes down buildings and endometriosis can take down your life 
and not just once, over and over again. You know, and I think sometimes we rebuild our life. But it's like building a sandcastle with a tide coming in. <laughs> it just keeps sweeping that sandcastle and back that away. And wrecking ball can come back, right? Mm-hmm. We have our symptoms. We lose a bunch of things. We lose, maybe we lose our career, our hobbies, some relationships. Like, we lose so much. And we rebuild. And that takes time and so much effort and so much energy. And then we get a new symptom. And then we get a new co-condition. Like something new pops up and boof, like a wrecking ball, it is all gone again. And it's time to rebuild again. And that is devastating. And that is exhausting. And I think, you know, saying that our loss and our grief can be ongoing and over and over again. And it just makes me think about how when I first got sick from endometriosis and I had so much grief, and then that grief, because I didn't have any of the coping mechanisms that I have now. I didn't have the tools that I have now. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't even have the diagnosis, right? And so my grief became long-term. And then my grief turned into depression, right? And then I had a depression for like, I would say like eight years, you know, where I was very seriously depressed because of my chronic illness and because of all of the symptoms and the chronic pain and the losses that I had because of them. And that's really hard and that is really confusing. And so navigating your grief, navigating the effects that chronic illness has on your life, but then the effects that all of that has on your mental health is so much to deal with. I just want to read the list again because I thought the list was so validating and I also thought the list in my own case with endometriosis affecting you know my life and then that affecting my mental health I think there were so many losses that I had that I wasn't even aware at the time that I had those losses like I lost so many things but I wasn't able to like put words to everything that I had lost so Mila Takala said that The losses may include comfort. Wow. Can anybody remember what it's like to be comfortable? No. Do you ever like watch a movie and the character gets into the bed and it's like the fluffiest, squitchiest, the pillows look like clouds and the blankets look like (laughs) so comfortable and you just think, I would literally give anything to be that comfortable in my bed. Is that just me? Sometimes I look at my cat and she's like upside down in the weirdest position, sleeping with like her legs out and like her tail under her. She looks so comfortable. And she's passed out and she's clearly so comfortable. And I look at her and I'm like, the last time I I was that comfortable, I was knocked out by anesthesia. (laughs) Comfortable. (laughs) And then I woke up, I was really bloated. I had really really bad shoulder pain. I was nauseous. And all the discomfort was back. But for that three hours of that surgery, complete bliss, let me tell you. Okay, to continue our list, one of the losses may include sexual function. I just think the word function here is funny because, like, it's more like I expect the dysfunction in every aspect of my life right now. There's function? Yeah, so the fact that I had function once seems very hilarious to me. Like, wow, when was that? People have function? I don't, I don't know what that means. Bowel function? That, that happens? Yeah, I don't get it. 
The next two is career and income. <laughs> oh, the struggle to work. The, the struggle, struggle to pay the bills. The struggle to have to change your dreams because your body can't support what you wanted to do with your career. That's that's a big grief. The struggle to receive disability income if your illness is so disabling that you're not able to work and the difficulty to actually get disability income and just all of that. Trying um. to get accommodations <laughs> in the workplace. Yeah, that's that's a big grief for your dreams, for your stability, for your financial well-being. That's that's a big one. The next loss may include self-efficacy. Brittany, tell us what that is, because I don't know. So an easy way to define self-efficacy would be my belief that it's possible for me to change something or achieve something or do something. Which I have all the belief in the world, but the ability <laughs> is the problem. Well, the problem is once your body is just like, you're like, okay, body, let's like walk to the mail, but let's get the mail, right? And then your body's like, ooh, I'm in so much pain that I can't get out of bed. Or you're like, no, okay, let's get it. We get out of bed. We like must. And then you just like fall down. And then you're with your chronic fatigue, you're like, stand up, body, stand up. And do it. You can do it. <laughs> no. no. Yeah, that affects your self-efficacy because right? you don't believe you can then do you it start, anymore. That's what I feel mm-hmm. like. I started doubting myself and like my ability to yeah. do anything that I wanted to, to do. Yeah. And it's yep. like then an opportunity arises and I just immediately say no because I don't think my body can handle it. Right? Ooh, another loss can include freedom. What's it like for people who don't have to plan their lives around <laughs> things like their chronic illness or like... What's it like to have spontaneity yeah, when you're just it? like, ooh, I want to just like drop everything and just drive to the beach? What's it like, like to be like, I have to plan a trip and I'll just plan it any time during the month? <laughs> ooh, and like not have to think about the week the before, food, the week during, the week after. When your period is coming, yeah. what you're going to sleep on, all the medications you need to bring. Sounds like freedom. I don't have that. The next loss may include cognitive function. Ugh, the dreaded brain fog. (laughs) You never know when it's going to lift. You never know how thick it's going to be. You don't know how long it's going to be around for. Sometimes I do things, I'm like, I don't remember how to read in this moment. I don't remember how to open a plastic bag in this moment. (laughs) That is... Brittany calls me. She's like, Amy, okay, look, I got my groceries. What do I do with them? They're in a bag. I'm like, okay, so pull them out. How do I pull them out? You just open the bag. How do I open the bag? I'm like, send me a picture of the bag. How do I send a picture? I'm like, okay, you know what? Go to bed and call me me in an hour. Wake up again. And try again. You can't figure it out. Sometimes Amy and I will message each other like, I know how to do this work task, but I just need you to tell me because I cannot actually think through the task right now. And we'll be like, okay, step one, step two. And we tell each other because we both know. We know how to do it, but our brain will just not do it right now. That's a real thing. It's a real struggle. Intimacy is the next potential loss on it's this hard, list. It's hard to be intimate when you might poop yourself. <laughs> it's hard to be intimate when you pee on your partner. It's hard to be intimate when you just bleed a chunk all over them. <laughs> it's hard to be intimate. It's hard to be intimate when as soon as anything penetrates your vagina, you're like, oh, mommy, oh, mommy. It's hard to be intimate when you want to kiss somebody, but then you feel like you're going to throw up in their mouth. So. It's hard to be intimate when you don't want anyone to touch you because yeah, you have fibromyalgia hurts. pain all over. And so you're just like, don't even touch 
my fingernail. Even non-physical touch intimacy, you're like staring in each other's eyes and you're sitting there going, I'm in so much pain right now, I can't even stand to be like they're this. Like, oh, also, the candle's giving me a headache, also I just want to cry. It's hard to be intimate when they're like, oh, let's spoon, and you're just like, I can't even lay still for more than like five seconds I can't without lay. crawling out of my skin from mm-hmm. discomfort and pain. So. so that's gonna be a no from me, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't we just uh, ignore each other and um, watch TV? Yeah, even the and- <laughs> non-physical versions of intimacy are just out the door. I can't talk to you about deep <laughs> things. I can't gaze into your eyes. I can't spend time reading with you. I can't do anything right now. It's going to be a no. It's a no across the board. <laughs> the next one on the list is pride. I think pride here is in two ways. It's, you know, you lose your pride, which I think is tied to our societal understanding of ego and that we should be proud maybe not like in a good way but we do lose that when we lose our ability to do things on our own terms but i think the other meaning of pride which i first thought about when reading this list was that since i'm not able to do the things that i want to do or my body's not able to support me in doing the things that i want to do i don't feel that i have things to be as proud of because there's not things that I wanted to do. Wait a minute. You're not proud. You're not proud when you poop yourself. I am proud when I make it to the toilet. So maybe (laughs) I just need to shift my priorities. But then you like share that and like no one else is proud of you. They're just like, yeah, Yeah. duh, you're not a baby. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, my my bowels don't know I'm not a baby. My bowels don't know how to control themselves. Yeah. So it's like pride in terms of the societal version of hubris i guess the like intense pride i'm proud of all the things that i don't think that many I've, of us have i'm proud that. of all the things that i've achieved and yeah all it's the like the over inflated sense of and self. my career and yeah. my i don't think that's the kind of pride we <laughs> many of us in the community have but i do think more the lack of things that i feel like i have to be proud of is affected because maybe i lost something else on this list and now i'm not proud of that thing because i don't have it anymore and i think that's very true is when i feel like i have nothing nothing that i feel proud of in my life except for the fact that i made it to the toilet on time then i lose a sense of pride in myself well and i feel like you don't even feel proud of that you just i used to feel so like now just i feel like neutral I, well now I, did I, it. I used to feel really pathetic right it was like oh my gosh oh my gosh i made it to the toilet yes i made it and then i'd be like this is so pathetic, Amy. Like, you're happy because you didn't pee yourself? Yeah, you downplayed it. But you should have been proud that you Well, now it. I feel proud. Now I, like, t- I literally tell my bladder, I'm like, oh, and I, like, pet my bladder. And I'm like, oh, you did you have it. such a good bladder. Like, I we do made too. it. And I have, like, I so much. I talk to my stomach all the time. <laughs> I have, like, so much self-love from my body now and from my body parts because we really are in this together and we're trying to do this together. But before, there was, like, there was I didn't feel proud. I just felt disgusted. I felt like I loathed everything about myself and my life because I wasn't able to, quote unquote, achieve and produce. And I was always having to rest. And I didn't feel proud. I felt like ashamed and lazy, which which are not true. But they're feelings that I had because of the lies that society told me that I had to be a certain way and be achieving and be producing and never resting. and Go, go, go and have this career and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, <laughs> all I did today was feel happy that I didn't pee myself. I'm a loser. <laughs> well, I do like that productivity and output aren't on this list. Yeah. I mean, career is because that's very valid if maybe you're a teacher and you can't stand for all those hours. You lose that part of your well, career. That's totally grief. I think career is connected with job in this yes, yeah, sense. Yes, yeah. But where, they like, don't we work have to... 
production or contributions to society in, a, yeah. in the workspace on this list. Because while that can feel very difficult to lose, you are not the sum of your productivity and what you put out into the workforce. So I like that those things aren't on this list. The next potential loss on this list is joy. I feel like that's definitely one that is maybe the first one to go. I was just going to say that. (laughs) That's one of the first ones to go. One of the first ones to go, yeah. It's like as soon as I got sick, I could no longer do the things that gave me joy, right? I could no longer do my hobbies. I could no longer meet with my friends. It also felt like my default status wasn't joy anymore. Like, I wasn't just, like, living life joyfully. I was now suffering all the time. And miserable. Mm -hmm. And it was really hard to even, for me, to even, like, revel in the joy around me. Like, when people were happy, I was like, what is wrong with you? And I, like, hated them. I felt, like, very jealous of other people's happiness because I was so miserable. Ooh, next we have self-esteem. Oof. I'll just go ahead and say. <laughs> you taking this uh-huh. one for the team. <laughs> yep. Oh, my gosh. Did my self-esteem take a huge hit because it's like, and my self-worth, right? My self-esteem, my self-worth, because it's like, ooh, you're so sick. Like, you're always canceling plans and you can't work anymore and you can't do all the things that you used to do and you feel like a burden and you need help all the time and you've totally lost your independence, which is another one on this list. Yeah, I would say the self-esteem takes a pretty big hit when you are peeing yourself, pooping yourself, hunched over in pain, unable to do the things that you want to do, unable to do the things that you need to do, feeling like, what is my worth? So much worth, by the way. We just come in here and say so much inherent worth that we have even with chronic illness. Chronic illness does not take away our inherent worth. Nothing affects how much worth you have as a human being. But it's hard to know that. It is so hard to know that. So self-worth, <laughs> bye. That's how, that self-worth, that was the second thing to go. The joy and then the self-worth just like left the building. Like the joy went like They screaming. skipped out hand in hand. That's, that's <laughs> they were like, we're happy to go. <laughs> Come on, Joy. We're Come running away me. from this scary endo monster. <laughs> All right. Something else on the list is self-control. I feel like for me, the first thing I thought of was that I'm not able to literally have control over my body anymore. Like, for instance... I don't decide when I have to poo and pee and when I bleed and when I puke and when <laughs> Whatever I do the body does, things. the body just does what it does. Exactly. And, and I don't the, have control over those things. And we just cater to the body. Exactly. Well, sometimes I'm with my boyfriend, especially when my period is like coming or here, and we'll be just laying in bed and I'll just like fart. And normally we have like a, we only fart in different rooms. Like if you have to fart, you need to like go leave the room and, like, fart in a different room. But you can still fart. You don't have to, like, make a big deal about it. Like, normally someone farts, we just laugh. It's just nobody wants the smell around But no one the wants the smell, right? <laughs> so, but when I'm on my period, it's just, like, whatever the body wants, the body gets. You know? So we're, like, laying together. I'm just, like, <laughs> and then just, like, oh, I just peed a little by accident, obviously. Yes, that, yeah. that accident. But the, sometimes, the, I'm sorry, the gas just, like, comes out. I can't even hold. It's not even, like. It doesn't There's even no alert control. Me. It's not like sometimes you're like in public and you're like, ooh, I got a fart and I got a clench. It's just like it happened. I'm like, where did that come from? <laughs> and then my friend's like, hey. I'm like, I, I did not even know the fart was coming. 
Okay. <laughs> That's how I know that it's a free for all fart because I didn't even feel it. I didn't even know the fart was on its way. And now it stinks in here and I'm really sorry. <laughs> or am I sorry? Not really. I mean. It had to happen. It had to happen. I, I have no control over this body. What the body wants, the body gets. Okay. I also feel like part of self-control Ooh. is self-regulation. It's like. It's hard to regulate how I feel. It's hard to have control over my my mental state and my emotions when I'm being tormented by this tempest of a disease. So self-control is both physical, but I think also mentally and emotionally, too. Well, and that's another one on the list is mental health. I can say. Was, <laughs> was my mental health affected by my illness? I think mental health <laughs> snuck out the back door actually before joy and self-esteem. <laughs> it just did not announce itself because I didn't even realize how much it was missing. Until I realized a real long time later. So. I honestly did not even know what mental health was until my Yeah, so it snuck so, out the back door without announcing its departure. I'm telling so you. So low and just like until I was so low and was like, wow, I need to work on my mental health. I was like, what is mental health? There's health there too. <laughs> I have health nowhere else. Why would Something I have health mentally? I don't have. <laughs> And the last ones are on this list. This is not, and this is not the end all be all. Not an exhaustive But this is a really good list. I think that encompasses so much of what we can lose. But the last ones on the list are hope, dignity, and certainty. And to that, I have to say, yup. Yup. And yup. And (laughs) yup. All right. It's the uncertainty that comes. I don't think people realize how amazing it is to have certainty. To know the truth of something. To just know. To know what's going to happen. You know, that uncertainty of like, first of all, when you're undiagnosed, right? You're undiagnosed. You're like uncertain, like, what's going on with my body? Is this new? Is this mean I'm going to die tomorrow? What does this mean? Is this this a symptom that, like, whenever a new symptom pops up, I'm like, okay, I don't want to panic because some symptoms, sometimes things just happen and they go away in like three days. I'm like, that was weird. That was weird. My toe was hurting so deep, like so badly. Or like right now I'm getting like a lot of like, stabbing shoulder pain but like in the muscle and I'm like I I don't know what's going on I'm not gonna panic I'm gonna give it a couple days sometimes it goes away sometimes it doesn't and you're like is this my new normal do I have to go to the doctor for this do I have to investigate what this is is this part of endo is this part of the other illnesses that I have is this what 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 the heck is going on with my body and that uncertainty will I ever get better or better enough to go back to having this hobby or better enough to go back to work And I think all of that loss and all of that change and all of that having such a negative effect on our mental health, and that can really take away our hope, which I think is one of the hardest things to lose. Because once you lose that hope, which I've lost in the past and then I've gotten back, but I think once things become The last one out the door. The last one out the door is the hope. That's when it gets hardest. And it's very hard. It's very hard when problem after problem, symptom after symptom, and you have these symptoms and then you're like, okay, I go to this doctor and, oh, let's try this treatment. And then that doesn't work. Or maybe it works a little, but then you have side effects. Or maybe you do a treatment, you have complications. And it's just like this never ending cyclone over and over and over of problems and loss and devastation. It honestly, it's just, it can destroy you mentally and emotionally and as far as dignity i think one of the biggest wait who does not have dignity when (laughs) you have 
pooped on the sidewalk. I know we are really obsessed with pooping was because I have a lot of diarrhea. Yeah, we poop a lot. So <laughs> Everybody poops. Who does not have dignity when you get up from a chair and you've left a blood stain? That's just a Thursday afternoon for me. I mean, that's just like <laughs> a normal Wednesday. When you squat you know? down and it just like floods out down inside <laughs> of your pants. When you laugh. Just a typical day. When you laugh and you just like keel over from pain. Yeah. You clench together. Oh, You're like, muscles. Ooh. <laughs> When it's hard to breathe because the stabbing pain, you're just like, I'm just going to sit here and wheeze in the middle of a meeting. Okay. <laughs> you're at work and you're just like, oh, okay. Ow, bladder pain. Ooh. Oh, and spasm. Everyone ignore and... my moaning and whining. Thank okay. you. Okay. Ooh, I'm going to. Everyone ignore the uh, wetness in my pants area as I exit this meeting. I'm it's gonna... not we. <laughs> I'm just going to go change my clothes. I have a lot of dignity, right? <laughs> like, Yeah, I'm pretty sure dealing with all of like the bodily issues that are considered quote-unquote shameful by society and all the taboo around pooping peeing menstruation all these things that can affect a person no that doesn't loss of dignity are you kidding me everyone's got dignity around these parts (laughs) there's extra to spare i think dignity also extends to the ability to do things on your own terms like going to the bathroom on your own terms, you lose that and then you lose feeling like you have the dignity that things are happening to your body in a way that you're consenting to. And so dignity is also why are things happening to me that I can't have any kind of control over and they are either mortifying me or embarrassing me or putting me in situations that I don't want to be in. And so it's very much a physical thing, but also a mental thing because we have no power to put ourselves in positions in which these things can happen that don't cause us to have mental repercussions or emotional repercussions or trauma from them. So there's a definitely less dignity there. You know, I look back on my life and I just think about how all of these important moments of my life stand out to me, not because they were important moments, but they stand out to me because of the symptoms that I had on those moments, right? Like, I feel like my life has been defined by the symptoms that I had. It's like, oh, I vividly remember this day because on this day I had this like awful flare in public. And like, oh, I vividly remember this job interview because during that time, like when I shook the recruiter's hand, a fart escaped my butt. (laughs) Wait, not everybody defines their important moments because of the traumatic memories associated with them regarding my chronic illness? Apparently not. Apparently people People remember things because they're good? Yeah. Wow. So this is what I remember about, as you know or may not know, I was married and divorced, right? Twice. Okay. So when I think of my marriage, when I think of my wedding day, do you know what I think of? I think of how we got married and... We were with our friends celebrating and we popped open champagne and then all of a sudden I got that twinge in my back Uh-oh. and then I went to the bathroom and I wiped and there was blush, you know, like redness on the toilet paper, not like that full light on pink blood. foreboding color. The foreboding blush color, right? And I knew that my period was going to come. Red Dragon was landing. Any minute. He was flying in. He was like, oh, you got married? I want to celebrate by singeing you. He was the Maleficent in the Sleeping Beauty story. <laughs> he was mad he wasn't invited. So he showed up unannounced to curse you. And I wasn't even supposed to get my period. <laughs> I was on like right smack in the middle of the two different periods oh. of my cycle, right? So we like planned our wedding Unplanned. around. So what do I remember most about my wedding day? Did I remember my beautiful, I was wearing an orange, a yellow, like a tropical dress with a big sunflower in my hair and it was just like very relaxed and all of our friends we were in the town square we were in spain 
Do I remember any of that? I mean, yeah, vaguely. Do what I remember. Do what, what I remember most? Wiping and seeing the blush on the paper and getting the that horror t- running through your body. My, yeah, feeling my stomach drop and the dread. Do you know what I remember about my honeymoon? I vaguely remember that we went to like a really nice hotel, and it had like a jacuzzi, a pri- like a private one in the room. We were in the jacuzzi, but you know what I remember most. I remember that the mattress was too hard for me to sleep on. So at two in the morning, when I was supposed to be sleeping after all my activities, I was tossing and turning. I was in full body pain. I had all the pressure points. Then I got up and it was cold and I was cold and it was dark and my eyes are dry and I couldn't open them. And I rolled out my yoga mat and I started doing yoga at like two in the morning. My my husband was like, lucky him. No idea what was going on. There I was shivering, all pain all over my body. I could not get the pain to go away, you know, the, all that fibro pain, all that inflammation pain from laying on that hard bed, which probably wasn't, it was like a regular mattress, but you know, I need like all this soft, the most softest cloud sleep on a cloud sleep on, on the world. <laughs> and so I woke him up at like three in the morning and I was like, we are driving home to my bed. That's right. And I made I'm exhausted. Him, I was exhausted. And I'm like, I'm not staying here a second longer. So I made him get up and we drove like an hour home to I could sleep in my bed and then in the morning we went back at like nine o'clock to get all our stuff and be in the jacuzzi one last time that's what I remember my honeymoon I remember leaving my honeymoon <laughs> because I was in so much pain do you know what I remember about my divorce well long story short which you know I never make them short but long story short <laughs> he was from another country and I was so he was in his country and I was in the United States, because we had to, we were waiting on the work visa, we were waiting, or the spousal visa, and we were waiting. And in the time that we were apart, I had assessed, we were apart for like months, and I had assessed that this relationship was not a good relationship and it was toxic and we needed to split up. And that I really never should have married in the first place, but I did so out of fear because even on the wedding day, I knew that I didn't want to get married, but I was so scared. So I caught, so I was like, it's just easier to say I do. <laughs> Uh huh. Yeah. And then you're legally tied together to a person you don't want to. Whoopsie. (laughs) But hey, you know, all those things that you lose, like your pride, your dignity, your self-efficacy, like the fear of being alone is a very big fear. The fear that no one will love you because you have so many things, quote unquote, wrong with you. Um, There are things wrong with me, but I'm not broken. But it was that fear that I'm broken and no one will love me. So the point is, I decided to fly to his country to talk about divorcing and take back my stuff. All my stuff was there because I'd been previously living there. So I had all my stuff there. I got on the plane and my period was not supposed to come. It was supposed to come. I was going to be there for a week. And he had no idea that I was going to talk about the divorce. He was actually really excited. And my period was supposed to come when I got back. So what happened? What happened? Well, crossed a few time zones there, changed, you know, felt extremely nervous, all that stress about going to initiate a divorce with someone and the food was different the bed was different all the things were different so the red dragon was like hey hey it's really time for me to shine baby i'll fly in <laughs> 10 days early <sighs> this is not i'm gonna be in a foreign country trying to get divorced <laughs> having one of the most important conversations of my life i don't need you here <laughs> i don't i don't 
You don't need to be part of but this. But I'm always here in every important moment of your <laughs> life. I don't. You don't need to be here. Yeah, I'm no. your best friend. So, of course, since we had a time limit, because I had really wanted to have this conversation in person, not like over Zoom or FaceTime or something like that. So I got there. And the first day I was a bit of a chicken. I couldn't bring myself to talk about wanting a divorce. So we just the like, word. ah, it's scary. So we just like caught up and we like had some time together. And the next day, I brought up the conversation. Of course, there were so many tears. There was so much grief. And guess who came? The dragon. The tears and the blood. The dragon. <laughs> so we spent the next four days talking about the divorce because can we work it out? Why do we want to get a divorce? What, did, what went wrong? What can we learn from this? We, ha- we were ha- having like a lot of conversations while I was on the toilet writhing and sobbing and going from the toilet to the little carpet next to the toilet, back to the toilet. But the thing is, when you're trying to have a conversation that's so in, like when you've started a conversation about like, let's get a divorce. Can't just pause that. It wasn't something <laughs> like, he he had so much he wanted to say and I had so much I wanted to say and we were on a time limit, right? So it wasn't like, oh, okay, well now I've just dropped this bomb that I want a divorce. Let's just like, everyone go home. Put a pin in it. <laughs> we'll wait like five days until like all this goes by for me. And then let's just like pick up where we're gone. I'm already going to be back in America at that point, right? So like we had the most important conversation of our relationship, which we were trying to end amicably. And we were trying to, I had faults, he had faults, and we wanted to talk about them. We wanted to learn from them. We wanted to be able to grow from them and not bring them into future relationships. There was a long history there of seven years of being together, like, we really wanted to talk about this. And I'm talking to him while I'm, like, hunched over, rocking, vomiting in a bag, right? And then, as if that wasn't fun enough, when I went to leave, I was on, like, day five of my period, right, when it was time to get my flight. And I was too weak to bring my suitcases. Like, you know what it's like. You can barely walk, right? I had to get wheelchair assistance at the airport. So I had planned to leave with, like, four suitcases, right? Like, take, like, those four massive suitcases. I just abandoned my stuff. I was like, I can't handle this. Like, I'm an emotional wreck. I'm a physical wreck. I'm exhausted from my period. I took one big suitcase and one small suitcase, and I abandoned all the rest of my stuff, all my clothes, all my... Because you're not going to ship it. It's too expensive to cross the ocean, right? So I'm talking, like, he was over in Europe, and I was here in the United States. So I just abandoned all my stuff. Why didn't I move here to this new city with no stuff? Endometriosis. <laughs> and that may not sound like a big deal, but it's like, that's your stuff. That's that's your whole life in some that's suitcases. That's your whole life. And I was just like, I'll just take what I can pick up. Thanks, Red Dragon. Like your story and Miley Cyrus like to say, it came in like a wrecking ball. So sure blew up your entire plan for that very important and emotionally impactful experience. And I surely do remember being along for the ride from home. And it's just like there's nothing anybody can do in that situation. Neither you nor him could do anything to navigate. Well, and I couldn't change adding my flight. Red Dragon to that I didn't have the money to change my flight. I didn't have more days off of work. Like, we were it was an impossible situation. Now we had talked for like a few days about our divorce. Like we're ready to have that emotional separation, right? So it's just like when I think of my marriage, obviously there were other so many, it was seven years. So it's like so many pinpoints of, by the way, we were, we were seven years together, but we were only like married for a few months because I realized after we married, 
that I had married out of fear and not out of love. So that was fun. That was fun. To, that was a good experience. That was a good time. That was good. That was fun to. That was a good time. You know, understand <laughs> that about yourself. That like every decision is motivated by fear, because you're so afraid. Because everything is so scary. Because you're in like a heightened fight or flight mode. Because peeing hurts. Pooping hurts. Eating hurts. Menstruation hurts. Breathing sex hurts. hurts thinking breathing hurts. hurts. Being alive hurts. <laughs> seeing all the things that you've lost hurts. It's like all of that. There was so much grief and it had come together and like morphed into like depression and shock and a lot of disassociation, I think. Oh, Edmitrios, you're so fun. You're my faves. <laughs> you're so fun. Thank you for making every moment of my life the best moments and the worst moments. Thank you for just like making them so spicy. Like, yeah. <laughs> Add a little bit of spice to that convo because it wasn't spicy enough. My life was like a tortilla chip. And then you came in, you were like the spicy cheddar. <laughs> Ooh, add some cayenne and lime juice. Here you go. Mm. <laughs> so now that we have all gone through Amy's grief process through her last relationship, and we've all cried or laughed a little bit at her together. <laughs> Listen, if you get a divorce from the toilet while pooping and bleeding and puking and discussing your feelings at the same time you get a trophy contact us we will make you a trophy because you deserve one <laughs> please yeah. write us please just like one. reach out to us and let us know did and we will hand carve you a damn trophy did you okay? have a flare okay my flares have always been very like intricately linked to my period which is why i talk about getting my period but did you have a flare at your wedding did you have a flare on your honeymoon did you have a flare when you got divorced let us know what if endometriosis had like an adventure tours? It was like, oh, Lord. ooh, vacation package with endometriosis. Today we're going to go snorkeling. 9 a.m. we'll leave. We'll go see the coral reef. You're going to attract sharks because you <laughs> uh, bleed out of your tampon. <laughs> 10 a.m. your period will come unexpectedly. Even if you had a hysterectomy, you'll just get your period unexpectedly. You'll just get a period. The sharks will come. 12 p.m., you'll go back on the shore. You'll have a beautiful buffet before you, but incredible nausea that you are completely unable to eat any of the Even food Even the sand you. sounds more appetizing than any of the food, yeah. <laughs> 3 p.m. comes, and you're like, oh, there's this beautiful um, lounge chair on the beach. The waves are in and out. This fluffy, wonderful lounge chair, a little daiquiri, alcohol-free or with alcohol. But once you sit down, every part of your body that is touching that chair feels like it's on fire. Also, they tell you you can't sit on it because it's white and <clears throat> you're having a little problem. <laughs> Even if you had a hysterectomy, you're having yeah, you're this problem. Bleeding. You do not get to choose whether or not you have the period in this particular 7 p.m. comes around. You're like, ooh, nightlife. Like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to, like, meet some people, take some selfies, hear some good music. You just pass out from fatigue. You're just gone. Just Your face in every picture is just a lesion. <laughs> endometriosis. Just a lesion. Just a blob. <laughs> just an endometriosis Just some endo blob. tissue. Just have a couple of endometriomas hanging from your ears, like a little earring accessory. That'd be cute. <laughs> and that is vacation tours with endometriosis. And that is life with endometriosis. Wherever you go, you get the flares. Whatever the flares are to you. For me, my flares were always very... Wrapped around my period until I got to be like 30, and then I had all those flares away from my period, plus the diarrhea, the, you know, nausea, the vomiting, the 
urinary urgency, frequency, the leg pain, the body pain, the hip pain, the shoulder pain, the back pain, the pain with breathing, the pain, all the pain, all the time, pain, pain, pain. Ooh, that is life with endometriosis. That is the, the vacation deal. <laughs> and that's the shortened version. That's the sh- There's so much more, but that's really... That's the abbreviated. Yeah, that's just so we could fit that all in the pamphlet. Okay. So now that we've heard about that really terrible vacation idea, I don't know why Amy would ever try to sell that. And we're all upset about thinking that that's how a lot of our vacations and life. go. <laughs> um, and why, life and daily events. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's important to ask why we're talking about this. Why are we bringing up all these horrible, horrendous things? That have so that we can have chronic sorrow no, um, together at the okay. same time. The collective chronic sorrow does right, have some value, but shed a tear together. <laughs> Ow. Squeezes out tear. Eyeball falls out. (laughs) No, not again. (laughs) We're talking about this because we live in a world that tells us that having endometriosis isn't that bad. It's just a bad period. It's not that serious. That can't possibly be what you experience. Yes. Your pain can't be that that bad, Brittany. It's not that big of a deal. You're being dramatic. Oh, please. I have that, and I don't have any of those problems. You had a flare on your wedding day, your Uh honeymoon, and your divorce day. It's (laughs) not a big deal. Sure you did. But you did all those things, so it wasn't that bad, was it? Mm, That's right. Yeah, no, it wasn't that bad at all. Yeah. That's why we're talking about this, because, no, it is that bad. It is really bad. And that's why we have chronic sorrow. Because this grief is real. And it's not something that just one or a couple of us are experiencing. This is something that we as a collective, the collective chronic illness community, experiences. And it's very real. And it's very powerful. I mean, they named a whole term after it. Chronic sorrow. That's how you know it's real. (laughs) Grief looks really different to every single person. And the things that we grieve and the way that we grieve them vary, even if they are the same thing or we do things in the same way. It might be around a different topic or a different sense of loss. The things Amy and I have grieved, there are some overlap. There are some differences. There are differences in the way that we grieved and the order in which we grieved them as well. When I look back at my grief that I've had 15 years, 16 years, 20 years at 20 years I've been sick at this point, and grief has been a, there's been so much grief throughout those 20 years, and sometimes the grief has been really intense, and sometimes the grief has been less, and I think about what my grief has looked like over the years, and sometimes my grief has looked like crying and just crying, and sometimes my grief didn't involve crying, but I couldn't get out of bed. You know, I could not get myself to get out of bed. I couldn't. I had no motivation. I didn't want to. I lost interest in everything. Sometimes my grief looked like when I met someone new and I just poured out my sob story. Big old trauma dumping there. (laughs) I remember a big old trauma dumping I did to someone who sat next to me on the metro and asked me for a Kleenex. And I just like let loose. Until they got off at their stop for like 30 minutes, this like whole story about my endometriosis and my symptoms. And they were like, oh, (laughs) I was like looking back on that. Oops. (laughs) Other ways my grief has looked is going to do the things that I need to do, going to run errands, going to work in my pajamas 
without having done my hair, <laughs> literally showing up at work in my pajamas like, I'm here. This is like all you're going to get from me, <laughs> right? Like, I can't do anything more. My grief is look like people talking to me and me responding in a whisper because I just could not get my voice to come out. My grief has looked like self-medicating, partying all weekend. My grief has looked so different at different times because grief is very hard to deal with. It is such an all-consuming feeling and it can really feel unsurvivable at times. And I look back at some of the ways that I tried to cope or just tried to keep living my life with my grief, not even aware of all the grief that I was holding. And what really strikes me is how, how painful it is, how agonizing it is to have such grief, how emotionally agonizing and how empty and lost it can make us feel. And I think about some of these words like life-shattering. And I feel like for me, endometriosis has been life-shattering. Like one day I just had this life and then I started getting my symptoms. And then within like a couple of months with my symptoms getting more severe and having to quit the things that I had to quit and like losing friendships and just like becoming a shell of myself and my life just like shattering in a million pieces and all those pieces around me becoming my grief. I started getting sick at nine years old, which is the fourth grade in the USA. I remember certain behaviors of mine changed once I started repeatedly getting sick and spending a lot of time in the nurse's office. And I remember my grief manifested itself as doing anything I could or having any aspects of my personality I could to distract from the fact that I was the sick kid to have people talk about me that didn't involve the terms sick or going to the nurses, or again. My grief looked like giving anybody a reason to talk anything else about me that didn't have to do with me being sick. It looked like later avoiding parties for friends in school because I could never eat anything there. I could never have as much energy or even potentially do the activity. So it looked like distancing myself from people. It looked like losing friendships. It looked like losing formative years as a child. It also looked like turning into perfectionism as a way to cope with the fact that I didn't have control over anything else in my body. And from a really young age, I remember hyperfixating on all the things that I could do right and having to do them right to the fullest extent because I couldn't control the things that were going wrong inside of me. It looks like not being able to share things about my life with my one best friend that I still retained at the time because I was so embarrassed that my body didn't work like her body. And it looked like growing up into an adult who did not know how to cope with the things going wrong inside of her and so either distanced herself from her own body and hated her own body and lied about things that she could and couldn't do because she didn't want to have to tell the truth about the fact that it was illness that was preventing her from going to do that thing or taking that job or going for that advanced degree or going on that trip. And it manifested itself in ways that were unexpected and in losing the ability to share my authentic self with people because I was convinced that nobody wanted to hear me talk about the things that I had to say because why would they want to hear another sick person talk about the ways that they're sick? And it turns into many things that you don't know or see until you look back and you've stepped away from yourself and examined these things. 
and realized that all of those things stemmed from something on that list that we read in terms of grief. It stemmed from losing self-esteem, losing hope, losing independence, losing self-efficacy. So many of those things were lost and they turned into these behaviors that I didn't even realize I was adapting or adopting. And grief certainly permeated my entire formative years up until from the age of nine up until the age of probably 30. That's a very long time to be living and molded by the loss from chronic illness. Don't we all just want to grab Brittany and just be the good little baby Brittany? My little nine-year-old cheeks. Brittle baby Brittany. Just give Brittany. Poor baby. Poor little baby. <laughs> Poor little all of us. Yeah. Honestly, I just look back. I just look back at myself and I look back at imagined Brittany because I didn't know her back then. But what I imagined Brittany to be like at nine years old. And I think about all of you listening and I just have flood a flood of self-compassion and compassion for all of us because what we were going through is so hard I think when you're living with such severe symptoms and they're taking a toll on your physical body on your on your physical health on your mental and emotional health and there's such indescribable emotional pain And I like what you said, Brittany, that you didn't even know that you were so, like all these things were happening, right? You were like withdrawing and isolating yourself and lying to people because you didn't want to tell them that you were sick. So you were like making up other excuses so that they wouldn't know because you were like ashamed and embarrassed. And like all the things that like coping mechanisms that we start to adapt and have and we don't even realize that we're doing it and we're just like living from these subconscious unknown trauma responses and how could we not right because when we are going through so much when we have these soul-wrenching experiences they're literally soul-wrenching they literally feel like you're just like taking our soul and like crushing it from all the loss and it feels insurmountable and it can feel impossible to just like know how to live your life and like even to know how to get through the next five minutes and I think for so many of us that you know we get into that survival mode right it's just like how can I survive how can I get through these next 10 seconds how can I get through this pain how can I get through this bout of nausea how can I get through this work day how can I get through this class how can I get through this morning how can I get through this commute Life just becomes about how can I survive? How can I make it through this event to the next event that then I have to make it through that event? And these events are measured not in units of minutes or hours or units of fun. They're measured in how many, how much nausea I have, how crushed my back feels from the pain. How much time do I think I have before my bladder spasms? I really, really have to go, right? How long do I have until I pee myself? I feel like that's what life, so much of life is measured in units of our symptoms. How can I make it through this symptom until I have a little more relief? And then once you have the relief, the next symptom pops up. How can I make it through that symptom? All right, Brittany, well, now that we're all experiencing this moment, chronic sorrow, what can we do? I think the first thing that I want to say is that the grief the feeling of the grief does change over time. And if you're in the raw grief stage, that grief can feel extremely raw and it can feel like a fresh open wound that you feel like is never going to get any better. 
And I think that applies to grief in many aspects, not just relating to a chronic illness. But in my case, I noticed that over time, my grief changed and it became less of that open, burning, painful wound. And it turned into something that I could step even just an inch back from, not remove myself from. I'm still living with chronic sorrow and I'm still living with grief, but it was somehow less raw. And I felt like for the first time, I could view these experiences and my losses from a different perspective. And that was the first time that I thought, oh, is there something I can do about living like this? Do I have to continue to live in this much raw emotional pain in regards to my chronic illness all the time? Do I have to do that? And that was that first moment was the raw feeling dulled just for a moment, and I was able to step back. Like it was so sharp and then it softens a little. It goes from being all-consuming that you don't even know you've been consumed by grief because you're just trying to survive to being able to kind of see your grief and step back a little bit from your grief. And I think for me that happened when I began growing alongside my grief or maybe around my grief or with my grief. I'm, I'm really not sure, but, you know, when my life started rebuilding when I lost, there's so much that I lost and then starting to rebuild my life. Like, how can I bring joy back into my life? How can I bring meaning back into my life? How can I be more aware of the thoughts that I have around myself? How can I bring in more compassion and be less self-critical? How can I find ways to be okay You know, how can I have more acceptance and find ways to be at peace with all of the loss and all of the things that are happening? And this is not an overnight switch. You know, I think for me, I I don't know when I went from, I was in so much emotional pain that I could only whisper when people talk to me to being able to talk and like, to a regular tone and volume of voice. Like, I don't know. I don't know when that happened. I know for months and months and months, I literally could only whisper when people talk to me. And then just like all these little imperceptible changes that I wasn't even aware of happening over time with me growing and learning to cope and finding tools. I think a lot of that for me was joining support groups for endometriosis, finding the online community. For some people, it's working with a mental health professional. There was so much journaling on my part, getting out my emotions, trying to understand myself, understand the experiences that I'd been through and refine myself and keep reminding myself that even though there's so much that I've lost and even though there's so much that I want to do that I can't do and even though there's so much that I don't have control over in my life and in my body, I can still find a life worth living. And it doesn't look like the life I'd envisioned for myself. And that hurts. That really hurts. But it can still be a good life. And then giving myself that grace and that patience to rebuild my life and that compassion and kindness and understanding. I think for me, that was really key. And, but those were things that happened over, over years. And those were things that I could not do when the grief was so raw, right? Like those, those changes and those like 
trying to adapt a like a mindset of acceptance or refinding joy, rebuilding my life. Like that wasn't something like, oh, my symptoms started and I got really sick and I lost everything. And now like two months later, I'm just going to rebuild my life. Woohoo, you be? It took me years, you know, and everyone's timeline is different with grief and with loss and with rebuilding. Finding a life where you can live alongside your endometriosis and with your endometriosis and flourish even with endometriosis and whatever flourishing looks like to you. But that takes a lot of time. And that's also not something that we should expect of ourselves when the grief is so raw. That's only something that I could do after years of grieving and then slowly finding the tools. And it's like with every tool that I found or with every journal entry, with every, like with all the little steps of progress that I made, the grief got a little less and a little less and a little less. For me, I had to spend a lot of time identifying which aspects of my person and my reaction and response was born of living in grief and in chronic sorrow. Some things that I didn't even think were connected, like my need for hyper-independence, stems from the fact that I needed so much help as a child and a young person because I was sick. And so as an adult, it manifested in this need to always do everything on my own because I couldn't possibly regress to a point where I needed help anymore. You cannot even imagine the hyper-independence in Brittany. Like, oh <laughs> my goodness. Okay. Trauma. Like, trauma. Brittany would be, we would be somewhere and Brittany would be like, oh, I'm having a flare. Ow, the pain. And she'd be like, fall over on the sidewalk and you'd be like, oh my God, let me help you up. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. I can help myself up. You're like, no, you can't. You're like, you can't stand. <laughs> you're literally like laying on the sidewalk. Like, let me help you up. And she's like, no, I can. And so I was like crawling towards her car and you're like, I can just help you up. Like, really? <laughs> I guess I'm letting you crawl I mean, then. <laughs> okay. If you want to, can I put this on YouTube? Like, what kind of, what's this like? Is this like a like, chronic illness crawl? Is this like a performance art? Like, I'm not <laughs> sure. Are you making a statement here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on, but like, totally, I can just like help you get I in your I car. I can help. It's, it's not like a big deal. Yeah, I have. You're making it into a really big yeah. deal. It really hyper, wasn't a big deal. Hyper independent. <laughs> you have made yes. it into a really big deal that I just don't know what to do with this deal. Should I just abandon you here? <laughs> Should I leave? <laughs> Should I peel out of the parking lot in my own car while you're crawling towards Beep yours? <laughs> All right. I have to do. Peace out. See you tomorrow. I'm going to grab my bumper. I'll pull you to your car. <laughs> but yes, I had a problem with hyper independence. Have. Because I didn't realize that that was a grief response, that that was something I used to cope with the loss of things like independence and the loss of things like dignity and other aspects of those lists that I had lost as a really young person. Nine years old is a really young age to deal with things like chronic illness. Little baby Brittany. Little baby ghoul. So I had to learn first and foremost, that that was a, a response to that experience. And then second, I had to unpack why that was how I responded and how I want to respond in the future instead. And I think a lot of these behaviors that I've developed out of living with this chronic grief and in this space is I had to learn that these responses and the way that I think and frame things and see the world and behave in some aspects while it's because of this experience of chronic illness at a young age or prolonged chronic illness being ill for a very long time, it doesn't mean that I have to continue 
to respond in those ways. And so a lot of this stepping back is evaluating what I do and and what I want to do instead. Of course, what I want to do is anything I want. That's not the reality. Ooh, dreams. So, so a I lot love of your pipe is, dream there, yeah, right? <laughs> a lot of it is also being realistic with myself and saying, you know what? I feel true neutral about not being able to do X, but what I can do is Y instead. And so we're going to focus on Y. And instead of me spending so much of my energy on that I couldn't do X, now I'm able to much more put much more energy in the but I can do Y part. And that also has helped my grief because I feel like I'm not sitting in that place of, I wish I could, why can't I? It's not fair. It's the worst thing ever, which I was in that place for a very long time. And I'm sure many of us in the community can relate to that. It's a very real place to be. But for me to start to move out of my chronic sorrow being so overwhelming, I had to start shifting my perspective. And now I still have some hyperindependence streaks. I'm, I'm not perfect. It's something that I'm still learning. And it's probably going to be something I unlearn for my whole life because I lived for 30 years with that behavior. It's going to take me a long time to undo it. But one of the things that I do have back is actually that self-efficacy that I know that I can improve in the ways that I want to improve. And I have hope that there are ways for me to stop living with the grief being so raw because the small incremental changes, the small shifts in perspective have helped me to see that these behaviors and these responses and these hair trigger responses are not me. They're things that I learned because the grief influenced them. But when I can step back from the grief, I can decide instead how I want to respond. And that's been very empowering, which is, I think, something that was perhaps missing from that list. But that sense of self-power that I can, this is probably tied up in many of those words, actually. But I feel like I'm empowered to have more ability to dictate how I want to do things rather than have my grief dictate to me how things have to be done. I love how you said that over time your grief has changed, right? And and part of that change has been going from focusing on everything that you've lost to the things that you can actually do. And I think that's really hard. That was really hard for me to do. I think, you know, I got really stuck in my grief because our losses are so, there can be so many losses. And oftentimes, all at one time or all within a really short span of of months, right? It's like within a very short span, many of us maybe got sick and we lost like half the things on that list, if not more. That's devastating. And I know for me, I was stuck. Like I was stuck in that devastation and that devastation changed. Like it was grief and then it just changed like a full-on depression. And it was really hard to come out of my depression. I also didn't, I didn't, looking back now, I know I was depressed. Um, but I didn't know that I was depressed. And I just thought like, this is how I feel, right? It's just like normal to like <laughs> talk at a whisper and like trauma dump on everyone. And like, I just, that's how I was. And I didn't know because most of those things were like trauma responses that, as you said, Brittany, like came out of my grief, came out of my experiences. They were unhealthy coping mechanisms. And I, I wasn't aware. It's been so important for me to try to get back things on that list. And in order to do so, let go of some of the things on that list. 
Like maybe there are areas of my life where I don't have independence, where I need help. And so instead of fighting so hard to have my independence in those regards, maybe instead I'm going to focus my energy on how can I get my joy back? Or how can I get back the feeling of freedom? You know, I don't have this independence that I want, but can I still feel free? Can I still find freedom within my life, even though there's things that I need help with, even though there's things that I cannot do? It's interesting because, well, it's actually fascinating because these last couple of years of my life with the diagnosis and two surgeries that I had and the onset of mass activation syndrome, they have been the hardest years of my life. And they've also been the easiest years of my life. And it's just really like a juxtaposition because they're the hardest years of my life because I've had two cancer scares. I got diagnosed with endometriosis. I had two major operations. Then I had an onset of mast activation syndrome. You know, I had a severe downturn in my health because of that mast activation syndrome that led me to such despair that I even had suicidal ideation. So it's been really hard. But in some ways, they've also been the easiest. You know, even though my grief, I think, was the most deepest grief I've ever felt once the mass activation syndrome symptoms started, that grief was, it felt insurmountable. But I got through it. There was several months of crying every day, rocking back and forth, telling myself, you are going to get through this. This too shall pass. You are going to be okay. And somehow I got to the other side of that horrible, horrible storm. It has been so hard, but it's also been easier than it was when I was in my teens, when I was in my early 20s, because I had tools for coping. Because I knew how to identify that I was grieving. I knew that if I wasn't careful, that I could get stuck and it could turn into depression. So I looked for support. I joined support groups. I also came in with a very firm knowing that I am not broken, that my self-worth is not tied to what I can and cannot do with my body. I came in with a very good knowledge of complex PTSD and a knowledge of the fight-or-flight response. Those are things that I had learned over the past few years. So I came in with practices to help me regulate my nervous system, to help me identify unwanted thought patterns. You know, I just watch as the years go by and my life keeps going on. (laughs) Just keep marching forward in my life with endometriosis at my side in every single moment. You know, it's like my physical situation continues to be hard and even to deteriorate in some ways. but. My capacity to deal and to accept and to love myself and try to find love within my life, like peace within my life, happiness and joy and meaning within my life, that just keeps continuing to grow. Even though there's grief present, there's grief, but there's also all these other things as well. Amy and I also wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that. Everybody who is experiencing this grief surrounding chronic illness, specifically endometriosis in this case, that you are not doing so alone. You are not grieving on your own. 
and the things that you are grieving and the grief that you feel are 100% real. And hopefully we can give you a little bit of validation that you're not being overdramatic, you're not taking this too far. It really is that bad. It really is that devastating. It really is that life-altering. And these feelings of grief are very real and they're very deserved because you have lost. We all have. And the best part about being in a community or in some kind of support group or even just listening to Amy and I is that we know what it's like to experience chronic sorrow. And other people around you in support spaces know as well. And you're never alone experiencing these things. And it's never something that is solely your experience when it comes to the loss with chronic illness. And finding other people who can commiserate with you or who can validate your feelings is so important because it does feel like you have a connection, a tether back to the humanity that you may feel like you've lost. So if you are in a moment of overwhelming grief, if you are in a moment of deep loss and chronic sorrow, we just want you to know that we see you and we know how hard it is and we know how insurmountable it can feel. But we also know that like all things, this too will pass. We don't know when. We don't know how, but we know that things can change. And we're just sending you support while you hold on during this dark storm until things change for you. Our question for today is not a super fun one, but more yeah, it is. A we time know. for introspective. Yeah, we want to know all about, did you have a flare on one of the most important days of your oh. life? Okay, that's what Amy wants to that's know. That's what I want to know. <laughs> so especially if it know. involved blood coming out of your vagina. What it doesn't... was the most important thing that happened to you while you had a flare? <laughs> you don't need to have blood stains. But, but if, they're a nice but cherry blood... on top. Yeah, Literally, yes. But yeah. <laughs> on the bottom. They're a nice cherry they're on nice the bottom. They're a nice strawberry syrup on the bottom of your They're sundae. a nice streak on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question. I would love to know which item on the list was the first thing for you that you felt left the building. Was it the hope? Was it the self-esteem? Was it the dignity? Was it the independence? Which of the losses on the list was the first one for you? What did that grief look like from losing it? And how has that impacted your life since then? It's not an easy question to ask and it's not an easy question to answer, but it's something that I feel both Amy and I, an exercise I feel both Amy and I have done and continue to do in our daily lives when examining the way that we see things, the way that we feel about things. So which loss did you feel first? And what behaviors or results or grief has become part of your life as a result. Thank you so much for listening. So if you want to reach out to us, we are on Instagram at in 16 years of endo. We're on the website in 16years.com. If you love our podcast, please leave us a rating on your podcast app. If you're so inclined, you can leave us a review. We love reading what you have to say about our show. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy us a coffee on our support page, which is listed on our website and in the show notes today. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>